we're going to continue our sermon series on the earmarks of a healthy church. Now, we've, we've looked at worship two weeks ago. We looked at the word last week. We're going to look at prayer this morning. And I'm going to probably preach for, you know, like maybe five minutes because the worship team already sang my sermon. So I'm not going to worry about that. So five minutes. It might be a little bit longer. We'll see. But um, there's so much in the worship that really communicated, I believe, what God has been laying on my heart with regard to prayer. And some of you came this morning, and as we were singing um, concerning the barren woman and the broken man, that ministered to you because that's just where we're at right now. And God wants to bring healing. If that's where you are at this morning, God wants to bring healing. God wants to fill our hearts again with joy and with rejoicing. I believe this is what God has called us to, and it's the enemy who wants us to get stuck in this place of of just robbed of the joy and the rejoicing and the celebration of who God is. And there we, we mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Circumstances can be so hard, church, but God is eventually calling us to this place of joy. It's our birthright. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so as we're talking about prayer, I want to ask you this question concerning prayer. Have you ever experienced, this this is kind of like a silly question because every hand is going to be raised, but have you ever experienced a time in which you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed and then you prayed some more and prayed some more and prayed some more and yet you didn't see anything change in what you're praying about? I remember praying for 15 years for my brother Rob to get saved and I'll be honest with you, I was pretty faithful the first 10 years. And if my brother Rob is listening, I am so, so sorry. But the last five years, I I just got discouraged. And at the end of that five years, so 15 total, God did something absolutely miraculous in changing my brother's life. You would find him regularly as a bouncer in a bar, hoping you weren't on the other side of the argument, okay? Okay. And he had to kick many guys out of the bar, and he's this six-foot-four-and-a-half dude that was like 300-plus pounds, and he would definitely bounce you out the door. But God got a hold of him because his marriage was crashing and eventually did crash, and my brother-in-law, Chuck, who within the last uh, bit has gone on to be with the Lord, but my brother Chuck ministered to him and just gave him a wake-up call. And God used my brother Chuck in that time of crisis to lead my brother Rob to the Lord. And God has just done some amazing things in my brother's life. He's been walking with the Lord for, I carry the one, a long time. And um, it's been many, many years, many decades. And then my oldest brother, Ken, just a, a year and a half ago, came to Christ, and what a testimony he has. And these two brothers of mine, one is the oldest and one is the number four in the family, I'm number five, they were at odds with one another. There was anger, there was even bitterness and hatred at times, and God healed that, and they're best of friends now. And this is like, wow, God, look what you have done. But can I confess 
that sometimes when we're in the trenches and we're praying, we can become so weary. And, and I think it's because of our posture and, and our attitude that we bring to prayer. And I'm going to cover some of these things today. There's four like extremes that we can go in prayer that God wants us to have this beautiful balance in prayer. And, and if we find that, if we strike that balance in prayer, I believe God will constantly nurture and feed our prayer. I believe that God will give us the sense of endurance that will carry us through those hard times. We've been praying for revival. I, can I just say that generations have prayed for revival, and we're just one of them, and we're crying out to God. What if it happens the next generation, church? Are you willing to pray that long and not give up? Jesus in Luke 18 gave a parable to teach people how to pray and not give up. And you remember the story with the widow and the unjust judge. And the unjust judge, he just kept saying, no, 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 no. And she was annoying him. But she, he finally, even in his depravity, he still conceded. And Jesus' point is, do you not think that your heavenly Father will give you justice? Because right now, you know what is unjust? What is unjust is that the enemy is destroying lives throughout this world and depriving them of the grace and the love of God. That is unjust. And I am praying that God will bring his justice upon our enemy, the devil, and that there will be revival. And you're joining us. We're praying. But I tell you what, there, can you not feel that weariness at times? You know, just this past year... Um, I went through one of those weary times and met an obstacle. And it was like the devil just stepped into something and blew it up. And I was like, I, I couldn't see my part in it. God eventually has been showing me. But it's, it's like, man, how did this happen? And every morning, I can't tell you for how long, there was this grief in my heart, but, and I kept praying and kept praying, and I have not given up, and I am seeing God do something amazing. Church, we want to pray and not give up. How do we do that? And what, the, what would that look like? I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, <laughs> for the first point that I want us to look at, this you know, extreme, I want us to see something in Jonah's life. Are you there with me, Jonah? <clears throat> Jonah has just been preaching for 40 days. He has gone through excuse me, the city of Nineveh. The Bible says that 120,000 repented. By the way, Jesus talks about this. It truly seems as if their repentance was genuine because they will rise up in the last day and condemn the cities of Jesus' day for not believing. That sounds like true repentance to me. 120,000 Opening their eyes, truly repenting, laying down their idols, I would assume, and coming to Christ or, or following after God. Verse 10, when God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion 
and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said? I is this not what I said when I was still at home? The very reason he ran. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow. What has gotten into Jonah? Now, if you were God, how would you respond to this? There's something in me that would, that would want to say, who do you think you are, oh little peon? Don't you just kind of feel that? But what does God say? Have you any right to be angry? Just a simple question. Jonah gets set up by God, and I'm not going to get into it just because of where I need to be a little bit brief here. You remember the plant that grows up, gives him shade, and then it dies overnight, and he's angry again. Because he, he's wrestling with the compassion of God because these Ninevites were so wicked and so cruel to his people. They were enemies. I mean, they were ruthless, church. They have, they have the reputation of perhaps being the most ruthless army that the world has seen. And he's wrestling with God's compassion upon them. They deserve your judgment, God. Here's what Jonah is going through. Jonah is going through what many of us would call a catharsis. And, and honestly, now listen to me, we believe that prayer is a time for catharsis. Do you know what that is? Prayer meaning that this is a time for me to just get my emotions off my chest. This is a time for me to just talk it out. This is just a time for me to rant on God. This is a time for me to express anything and everything, period. And after we get it all out, whoo, I feel so much better now. Can I ask you, is that the purpose of prayer? Because if we're going to say yes, then we have to say amen to what Jonah is saying here. That's an extreme. But on the other hand, we have people who say prayer. I mean, how irreverent you are, Jonah. We never talk to God this way. We never ask questions like this. We never demand things of God. You're sharing your emotions and you're being raw and we never do that. Is that true? Can I just take you to a psalm? Psalm 77. Um, to be honest with you, I love this psalm because I was of the very strong opinion of that other extreme that said, oh my goodness, Jonah, you're such a horrible person sharing your feelings like this. But when we, when we look at scripture, I think that we can find a balance that truly is beautiful and where prayer needs to be leading us. See, the problem that I have is where Jonah's prayer led him. It's not so much the feelings that he's going through because that's just, he, 
he felt that there was an injustice here, and he's saying, God, this is what I'm wrestling with. And so God simply asks him, trying to get it underneath all of this emotion, do you have the right to be angry? And see, where jo- Jonah needed to work through this, so he eventually came to the conclusion, you know what, God, I hear what you're asking, and the bottom line is I really don't have the right to be angry, but I am angry. And, and so here's, what's, here's what Psalm 77 says. I'm going to just read to you, once I get the right page, from starting with verse 7. Listen to the psalmist here. And it says, will the Lord reject forever? Can I ask you, why does he ask that question? And, and I think the answer is simple, because he feels rejected. So he's expressing that. I feel rejected right now, God. Based on these circumstances in my life, I'm feeling rejected. And he's expressing that in a question. God, are you going to reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? And he's asking that because he's, in essence, he doesn't feel as if he is seeing the unfailing love of God in his life at that moment. we, We eventually need to ask the question, is all of this rooted in truth? But you see, that's where he's going. He's God, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm perceiving life. And God is not saying, what? How disrespectful you are. It's, this is an anointed psalm, and it is, these are invited questions. The problem is not the questions. The problem is our answer or the conclusion that we come to. And that is what's so significant here. He has a, he has a few more questions. He says, as God... As his promise failed for all time. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought. See, then. Here's my questions. Here's how I'm feeling, Lord God. And and I'm expressing these to you. Then. So he comes to this conclusion. In this process, this is not a process simply of catharsis. Because catharsis in counseling just simply means share with me all of your problems. Let's just get it out and it'll make you feel better. No, church. That is not the answer. That is not what prayer is for. There is a goal in which God works these emotions through us in prayer, in conversation to bring us to a point, a conclusion, a perspective. This is significant. God is inviting the question, then I thought. To this I will appeal the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Why is he doing this? Why is he coming to this conclusion? You know what? This is how I'm feeling, and you rejected us. I don't see your promises and your compassion. Where is it? Here's what I need to do. I need to go back. And I need to remember and meditate 
on all of these miracles that you have done. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to appeal to all of these things. But I'm going to go back to truth. And there is this wrestling that God delights in our prayer in which we wrestle through the issue and our emotions to eventually land on truth. And God is not afraid to be challenged and say, God, remember. And the only reason why we would do this is because we're remembering. We're coming back to the truth. We're seeking to stand on the truth. And that's where God wants us. And and if... If your goal in prayer is simply to just share this cathartic experience of how bad life is, you will never arrive at truth. I will remember. It's intentional. I'm going back to these truths. I'm going back to all of these things that I've heard from my forefathers and what has happened at the Red Sea and the falling of the wall of Jericho and on and on and on. And you know what? As I remind myself of these truths, now I'm going to feel God. Now, here is my situation, and you have come through. And, and Lord, so Lord, I'm just asking, do a miracle in my situation because that's what I need. Come to the truth. And here's what he, this is, these are truth declarations. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. Truth statement. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And so I'm just going to challenge us. Prayer is not just a time of some cathartic experience. As we're wrestling, we land on the truth. We remember it. And we are not afraid to appeal to God as a result. Let me share another experience that I've had. More in my younger years, but it comes back to me. And I learned that prayer was petition. Nothing wrong with kneeling beside my bed, praying. My tendency, though, and I had a piece of paper that would regularly update my list of prayer requests. And before I say this, understand prayer has an element of petition. The extreme that we go to is we love to sit on Santa's lap with our Christmas wish list and says, for Christmas I would like, and that's prayer to us. Prayer is climbing in God's lap and just saying, okay, you know, I want a new car. Give me a new car you know, with, for, with keys, and, and we expect God, the, the, you know, the car keys. You know, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and of course we end up with, I want world peace. And, and so if, if this is my Christmas wish list, and this is our attitude in prayer. And church, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that prayer does not have petition. It, it does. But prayer simply is not, the, the sum total of prayer is not petition. And if you don't believe me, go to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I just want us to see something because I, I need us to strike a balance here because prayer is not sitting on Santa's lap with our Christmas wish list. 
It is so much more. And it may even require some tweaking of our attitude to get this. But in verse 6, he says this, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, with what, church? With prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's how we deal with our anxious thoughts. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Why does he separate prayer and petition? Why doesn't he just say petition? In everything, with petition and thanksgiving, present your... Because prayer is more than just petition. And, and I want us to, to discover what that more is today. It is significant. And our lives, as we are spending this time in prayer before God, church, listen, it must include thanksgiving. Because if you don't come back to praise, if you don't come back to thanksgiving and rejoicing at what God has done to remind yourself of the good things he has done, you will not be reminded of the good things that he desires to do. We need to be rooted in the sanctity of Job when he lost everything. He said, naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was introduced by this phrase, and Job worshipped God. And so, I, I want us to realize that Thanksgiving is such a vital part of this. If you have a relationship and you rarely say thanks, maybe you do have a relationship. What does that relationship look like? It's probably one-sided. It's probably you constantly going to the person for help. Maybe it's a parent. Not a parent, A-P-P-A. A space, parent, mom or dad, and it's all about the car keys or it's all about, you know, this and, and hey, I w this is what I want for my birthday and, you know, and, and can I do this and can I do, go over here and can I do that? And, 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 and that's the relationship between child and parent. And if there is no thanksgiving, that relationship will become stagnant. And same with your relationship with the Lord. It is not just about petition. It is about thanksgiving. It is relational in its nature. Do you realize that Abraham was a man of prayer? Listen to this. Abraham was called the friend of God. The friend of God. Church, the friend of God. The holy, infinite, most high, almighty, El Shaddai God. He was God's friend. Abraham, the friend of God. So, back in Genesis 3, we have a picture of this relationship between God and man. And we discuss Discover the brokenness immediately because here's what happened. God went about 
maybe this is an assumption on my part, but the way it reads, it feels as if this is God's routine. God walked through the garden in the cool of the day, but something was missing. And so he called out, Adam, where are you? Because God, in walking through the garden in the coolness of the day, longed to have Adam and Eve with him. But they weren't there. And then he asks, where are you? And the story unfolds. And I'm just going to suggest this to you. That prayer is this walk and this conversation with God as a friend. Enoch walked with God. And it's just sometimes we have this view of God in all of his otherness and transcendence, and we tend to minimize his imminence, that is, his closeness to us, that's especially revealed in the New Covenant, but it was there in the old. It was there in the garden, but it was broken. That intimacy was broken. Church, your prayer life, our prayer life, is a walk with God. It's like a conversation with a friend. And you know what's, what's awesome is sometimes God will choose to speak to you too. And yet, I mean, yes, he, of course he's going to do it through his word, but sometimes by his spirit, he drops words and thoughts into our heart and he responds to us. This is a relationship. This is a walk and a conversation because it's a friendship with God. The transcendent God, yes, but the imminent God, the, the God that is here, present now with me. And by the Spirit, it says, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing your terrors. He's right here. And he lives inside of me. And I get to commune with him as a friend. Not just climbing up into Santa's lap. Not just, Daddy, can I have the car keys again? Conversation filled with compassion and love. It's relational. Next thing I want us to see is that sometimes, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but sometimes I think in our prayer, we want to sound good to God. Sometimes, and I'm not sure if anyone in our church does this, I grew up with this a lot, we talk normally, but when we pray, we pray in the King James Version. When we pray, we want to impress God. And, and, and the reason why we want to impress God is because we, can I just get at the root of this? We feel estranged from him, and we now are coming to him with this load of guilt and shame, and we want to impress him, God, I'm not all that bad. That is not the issue. We want to impress God, but why? You know, how about if we just let God work in our hearts? And, and, and instead of wrestling with this shame, how about if we just lay it before him? How about we just come back to the truth of who we are in Christ? But many times when we pray, we want to impress God. And you know what? If we're not trying to impress God and we're in a group, we want to impress others. Where does it end? Oh, my goodness, right? We want to impress others. My prayer, it just sounds so good. And the reason why we need that is because there's something wrong here. 
And, and God just needs to say, Mike, you know what? I don't know what's going on here, but I'm looking in your heart. And I, there's a need there, and I need to fill that need because what I'm hearing is like, wow, if you could just hear yourself. And I, especially when I was younger, but I'm sure at different points in my life, I've wrestled with this. We pray because we want others to think, wow, what an amazing man or woman of God. Right? As if prayer is a stage for us to impress people or impress God himself. Like, wow. Am I even connecting here? Because sometimes God just, you know, here's the real reason, Mike. You're dealing with shame. And that's what I need to deal with. So how about, how about if we just stop right now? Just stop praying right now. And you can, can you just approach me like I'm your friend so I can heal that shame? So I can remind you of my love for you. That you don't have to earn my affection. You know, when Jesus was baptized, had done no miracles, not preached one sermon, his ministry had not started. The Father spoke from heaven. He was so excited for this moment, the Bible says he ripped heaven open and a dove, but in the, the spirit descended, and it was like a dove. So I don't know exactly what it was like or, or what it was, but it was like a dove resting on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this, oh, yes, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was the father so pleased and Impressed, if you will, with the son because of all the miracles he had done, because of how eloquent he was? Nope. Because he was his son. Period. You are a daughter. If you know Jesus, you're a daughter of God. You are a son of the Most High. And you stand before God, and he says to you, You're my beloved son in whom I am so well pleased. And if we can just receive that and allow the shame to get out of there, because it will undermine and destroy this relation, this prayer, we're, we're going to want to be like Adam. We're going to hide. Here comes God. He wants to walk with us. What are we going to do? We're so filled with shame. So here's what you need to do. You just need to walk out and you say, God, pfft. this is what we did. And just appeal to his love and receive his forgiveness. And let's just get rid of this desire to impress God or other people. Let's be real and truly get at the heart and let God wash the shame away. The last thing I want us to look at is there tends to be an extreme view within Christianity. And there is a balance that we need to find in this. On the one hand, <coughs> the question is asked, if God is sovereign and knows all things, and he knows how this circumstance that you're facing is going to turn out, and that our future is set, and I believe that, in the mind of God, he already knows it. 
I can't change that, so why even pray? Do, do, you, do you feel the gears grinding with that? So why even pray? And the answer is, well, and it's a very simplistic answer, because your prayer is also a part of this. See, in, in Acts 2.23, Peter's preaching, and he says, um, that G, let me, let me jumpstart this. Jesus was handed over to the authorities by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God has a set purpose and a foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen. And if we're not careful, we can slip into this, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to pray because, you know, if God has this all set, but he also understands that I pray. Uh, can I just say, though that's true, it is so simplistic, and it tends to push us on what I'm going to call a hyper-Calvinist view. And, and it's not that it's completely wrong, because the other side that I'm going to share with you is not completely wrong. It's just that when we study prayer, we see the beauty of where they meet. And we must consider both of these extremes and find the balance. This is more than just, well, I'm going to pray because my prayer is this thing that helps in this set purpose of God to do something. It's more than this. So, on the other hand, if you understand what I even just said... We ask the question, so why pray? And then on the other hand, we say, because prayer changes God's heart, and it changes God's will. And we can turn to Exodus 32 to demonstrate this. And in that situation, Israel had just created the golden calf, bowed down to it, and it broke the heart of God and God wants to wipe them out, and Moses finds himself interceding for the people. And this is what, after he's done interceding, it says, then God relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Doesn't that sound like God changed his mind and that Moses changed the will of God? Now, I'm going to tell you, I can't say that I completely understand all of this. I do know that God is a set purpose, but prayer is just more than that little part of the formula to get God to do what we want him to do. And prayer, if, if, if things are truly set in the purposes of God, then yes, our, our prayers affect something. And the way Exodus reads, it's like, wow, Moses' prayer just changed what God was going to do. Now, if we can just take these two ideas and bring them together and not lean heavily on one or the other, then we're going to discover this dynamic in prayer that it's something that we look forward to. It's not part of some formula or mechanical and it's not as if God is opposed to this and I've got to twist his arm. But I will press in 
because prayer does change things from a human perspective. I cannot see the future, but I know by praying, God will respond, and that which I am seeing, he has the privilege of completely changing. And so from a man's perspective, yes, prayer changes things. But from God's perspective, it is, it's as if God was inviting Moses to step in as a mediator and say, but God, do you not see what's happening here? And do you not, can you not change and can you relent from your, your righteous judgment? And he intercedes for them. And I can only imagine the smile on God's face and the joy in his heart. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Can you, can you see yourself like a Moses in prayer? Not locked into, well, the future can't change, or, well, here we go. I am going to right now get in God's face and change his mind. Can you find that balance? And this joy then, in James chapter 4, it says this. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And if we're not careful on the hyper-Calvinist perspective, we can weigh in very lightly when it comes to prayer. Yeah, it's mechanical. It's part of a formula. And why do it, Lily? Well, I tell you what, if you don't, then you will not receive what you ask for. That's James' plain conclusion. But you know what? When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You know what? Their hearts many times were filled with greed. Gimme, gimme. And you know what, God? I'm going to appeal to you, and I'm going to declare. I'm going to declare in the heavenly realms that this is what you will do. People pray this way. This is what you will do. That is not faith, church. That is arrogance. And when we come before God, we come before him, adoring him in this relationship as he is truly my best friend and as I appeal to him. And yes, you know what? There are four or five things or maybe more that I want to appeal to him for, but it's more than this list. And as I come before him, I am filled with faith. Because, I am, because faith is relational. And in this relationship, I'm appealing to a compassionate and loving God who does not cater to my greed, who does not delight in my selfishness. The reason why you don't get it is because you don't pray. And the reason why, the reason, how does he say it here again? Excuse me. He says, you do not have because you don't ask. And you know what? When you ask, your motives are so wrong. We ask with humility. We ask with this compassion and longing in our heart for him. Because can, can I just tell you this also, that when you pray for other people, you begin to be filled more and more with love for those people. Prayer is one of those things that ign helps ignite this passion for prayer, and then a compassion for people. And as a result, we pray for them more. And as we pray for them more, we're filled with more compassion for them, and so we pray for them more. 
So I want us to go back and I want to ask this simple question. Where are you at in your prayer life? Is it stagnated? Because we read through Luke 11, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. As we read through Luke 18, and Jesus gives that parable of the widow and the unjust judge, it concludes with, and when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? The challenge is this, that our prayers are filled with faith, and faith because it's relational, and it, it, it seeks the balance in these four areas. I'm sure there are other areas that we could touch on, but in these four areas, it perseveres. And you know what, God, I am okay if you do not do it exactly as I'm praying, because as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't about Jesus's will, now was it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in prayer, we boldly petition him, and he begins to change me. And as he changes me, I pray more and more according to his will. And I begin in this amazing walk with God, this relationship, this conversation that now I look forward to every day because I know I'm not sitting on Santa's lap and I know that in this intimacy with him, he has the privilege and the longing and the desire to work things out so perfectly for me. So I want to ask you, when Jesus comes back, and should he come back in our day, when he speaks with you, when he speaks with me, will he find me a man of faith in prayer? Or will he have found me as one who just regularly gave up? Because I was constantly like this pen pendulum swinging from side to side and never finding the beauty of this balance in prayer so that I look forward to it. And yes, I'm going to find discouragement, but as I land back on truth, I realize how good and compassionate God is and that he hasn't rejected me and that his promises are true. So this morning, I am inviting you to this walk with God in this prayer life with God that his spirit, by his grace, wants to ignite in us and, and call us to avoiding these extremes and pursuing him. And I'm going to promise you that if we walk this with balance, you will discover that beauty of prayer. And I'm going to say this even, you will not give up in prayer. You won't. I, I, I have so many times because I failed to find that balance and come back to this beauty of who God is. And if all I'm doing is simply asking all the questions and some cathartic exercise of emotion, I will never come back to truth. So that's my invitation. Come back to truth. Come back to who this amazing God is. His amazing grace. His heart for you. Wanting to kind of just push away the shame that crowds around us and, and seeks to extinguish that fire of prayer in us because we want to hide like a Adam and just let God fill our hearts with, again, who he is and let him amaze us.